Welcome to the Dirty Politics Podcast. With me is Simon Lusk. And today we're going to talk about whether or not Labour can win the Northcote by-election that's come about as a result of Jonathan Coleman resigning from Parliament. Simon. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting by-election after the only interesting one in recent times really being when Winston won Northland. The rest of them have been pretty one-sided, but this is one that without a strong local candidate, National could be pushed pretty hard by Labour. There's a few things that they'd have to get right, and that includes having their coalition partners not run a candidate, but it's certainly possible. So on past history, we know that Labour's held Northcote in its current form or thereabouts with the boundaries twice in 1999 with Anne Hartley and 2002 with Anne Hartley, albeit with much reduced majorities from what Coleman has enjoyed in the past um, past five elections. Yeah, and I think that perhaps rather than looking just at Northcote, we should look at the local body politics in that area. And the left do very, very well. Grant Gillen finished third to Labour's former Northcote candidate Richard Hill in the council race, and Chris Darby is an absolute communist on a good day. So some of the bluest parts of Auckland are controlled by left-wing councillors. The local boards are the same, where there isn't a dominant right-wing local board in either of the two local boards that are in that area. What do you put that down to, Simon? Woeful incompetence on the centre-right. The MPs, Maggie Barry and Jonathan Coleman, have shown no interest at all in supporting a good right-wing ticket, whereas the left have been pretty bloody good on the ground over there. They've got some good people too on the left. Anne Hartley and Grant Gillen are good political operators. They know how to run campaigns. They know how to turn people out. National don't. You know, Maggie Barry is a ring-in who turned up and thought that talking to people through a microphone on TV was how you won, and she weighed her majorities rather than counted them, so she never really learned about it, never did much for the down ticket, and Coleman was exactly the same. In my experience with the North Shore, they're somewhat strange and rather parochial when it comes to local politics. There seems to be no cohesion that exists like in central Auckland around what used to be called citizens and ratepayers, although they've fallen away somewhat with poor leadership in recent years. At least there was some cohesion. On the North Shore, it seems there's lots of individual tickets or a couple of people working together, but they're incredibly parochial. And if you don't come from that area, then they tend to rinse you pretty hard and put all sorts of barriers in your way. That doesn't mean you can't win there because Maggie Barry has in terms of winning a selection. But my experience is that people on the North Shore, particularly in Northcote, Takapuna, around those areas, are very pushy with what they want for their local representation. Yeah, they're not in much of a position to be too pushy on this one because there will be 60 delegates and the membership is not much over 200. So that means that there won't be more than 20 or 25 of the 60 delegates that are from Northcote if the region decides to appoint regional representatives. So there could be a healthy majority of regional representation rather than local representation. Well, it's a bit of an indictment, I think, that the membership is so low in what is ostensibly a blue seat. Yeah, yeah. But then National hasn't really taken membership seriously. They don't really advocate signing up members. And then when they do sign up members, they don't have much for them to do. So there's not that much point in belonging. It's a tricky question of how you get modern political parties 
when most of the members are over 70 and want things run in the way that Keith Holyoke ran them. You know, that just isn't relevant for a modern person who's got a busy life and doesn't like sitting around boring meetings. So you'd assume that the two presumptive candidates will be Lisa White, who stood in East Coast Bays and is the chair of a local board in that area, although not in North Coast, and Danielle Grant, who's also chair on a local board. Now, the problem with both of those women are that um, they lost council races to people that they should have really beaten. Danielle Grant only got half the votes that Richard Hills got in North Shore, and Lisa White couldn't beat two guys who are pretty left-wing and John Watson and Wayne Walker in Albany. Doesn't really make them look all that electable, which is something of a problem in a tight race. Well, Lisa White had a real problem because that's up where I live. John Watson and his pal, they have a real mortgage on those two seats. God knows why, because they're both a couple of wombles. Although they do these days tend to be more conservative in their outlook and vote against some of the things that Phil Goff has been putting in, particularly around the troughing trips overseas and things like that. But you're right, it doesn't give much confidence that she would be a good candidate for the National Party after not even making any inroads into those two guys. Yeah, and Danielle Grant, she was a distant fourth behind Richard Hills and Grant Gillen, who's an alliance guy who narrowly lost to Richard Hills. So there are two left-wingers that got about double the number of votes she did. You can say that, oh, well, it was really Michelle Bogue and Sue Wood that got Auckland Future badly wrong, but even so, you know, a candidate should be able to do better than that. So both those Auckland Future candidates, they got pretty hammered hard. Was that a result of poor strategy by Auckland Future or it's just a factor of the North Shore where you've got some people that are quite well known on the left wing like Richard Hills? and Grant Gillen and people like that, that they're just getting elected on name recognition rather than any sensible platforms or policy platforms. I think that there's probably a bit of both. I don't think that any campaign is ever determined by a single thing, but I think that the left is just much better on the ground and much better at campaigning, and I think Auckland Future demonstrated that they really weren't, and probably anyone involved in Auckland Future should stay a long way away from campaigns in the future. Are there any other candidates that you've heard of that thinking of putting their name in the hat for Northcote? So there was obviously three others, not including Lisa White, who ran in East Coast Bays. Then across in Helensville, there's another three potentially there. Mark Bridges is no longer in the area. So there's six others there, but none of them really seem to have much of a connection to Northcote. Labour will be running the line this person doesn't have anything to do with Northcote. They're using it as a stepping stone for their parliamentary ambitions. They'll be off to Wellington before you know it, and you'd be far better off having a local who's running for Labour. So there's also rumours that one of the candidates who stood for selection in Pakaranga, Dan Bidwa, is putting his name in the hat. He lost to Simeon Brown in that selection. I'm not sure how many votes it went to, but the result is Simeon Brown's in Parliament. Dan Bidwar isn't, and I've heard from several sources in Wellington and around Auckland that he's putting his name in the hat for this. What's your thoughts on his capabilities to win in Northcote? I think he might be able to win the selection, but I think that he would be someone that is exceptionally vulnerable to the criticism that he has no connection with Northcote. He lives in Pakaranga, that's where he's from. His family lived there. If Labour wanted to beat him, I'm sure they'd be running very hard on a guy that has no connection at all to the electorate. 
so it'd be vulnerable to a carpet bagger attack. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of Labour, in order to win this, they've got to overturn a 6,210-vote majority that Coleman got in 2017. What have they got that's going to help them with a good local campaign for a by-election? Well, you'd think that the combination of Anne Hartley and Grant Gillen, if they can manage to work together, is pretty persuasive. They're way better than the centre-right people in the back room in that part of the world. Well, Anne Hartley was instrumental in rinsing Materia Toure, wasn't she? Oh, you've just got to admire her for what she did. Materia was going nowhere and Anne Hartley just stuck the knife in her ribs and that was a beautiful play for a thoroughly deserving scumbag of an MP, but it still had to be done and... You know, you could see Anne Hartley doing the same to a national candidate if they've got any skeletons in their closet. The local candidate there last time is a bit of an also-ran and not well-known. I've been talking about Paula Gillen, who's a local ward candidate, and she's run some pretty cool campaigns to get out the vote, which saw her elected at just 19 years of age. Do you think she's got a good possibility there if they select her? I would think that she'd be the one that would be the most formidable. She's run there before. She's taken time out to start her family. But as we know, we've got a prime minister that is currently pregnant. We have two infants in parliament, so that shouldn't be that much of a problem. Julianne Ghent is pregnant as well. Yeah, you know, so two ministers. We have really a culture that accepts that women should be able to run parliament and be mothers of young children. And so I don't think that should be a problem for Paula. And she is a very attractive candidate. She ran a great campaign in 2001. She had herself in lingerie on a big billboard next to the motorway and she got elected to the council. Well, it's pretty shameless and you've got to admire shamelessness amongst politicians in my view. Oh, absolutely. And she won. You've got to think this is someone that is willing to do what it takes to win. Yeah, I mean, she has been around the Labour Party for ages. Apparently, she's not that popular with Jacinda because Paula was a bit too attractive and a bit too popular with the lads and... Jacinda was a bit square and a bit Mormon and a bit toothy, and the guys were more interested in Paula. But I think that Jacinda would probably make a concession that she needs a candidate could win, and Paula would be the one. So at this point in time, we can sort of ignore the other parties. This is going to be a two-horse race. It should be. If the other parties are smart, they'll drop out. You know, I think that the other candidate that potentially could be quite good is Richard Hills. He's shown that he's a popular local guy who, young enough to have a long career in Parliament, he could easily be a threat to National. So I guess we've got National with no clear front-runner yet or no big-name candidate, although it would be a good opportunity for someone who wants a long parliamentary career to look at getting in now so that they have a term in opposition and it positions them well if National can manage to gain the Treasury benches at the next election. But they still have nobody at the moment. You've got a couple of hardcore candidates, possibly for Labour, who have proven that they can win. That's just going to pose a few big questions here. Will Labour get the Greens in New Zealand first to not run a candidate so that they can then embarrass National and Simon Bridges? Well, I think that that is a likely scenario. I just don't think that the Greens and New Zealand First have much incentive to run. And even if they don't run this time, if Labour gets close enough, it means that Labour may be able to win that seat in 2020. Labour would be forced to trade something off with the Greens and New Zealand First if they drop out. And if that were to happen, I think it would be very good for Labour. The only catch that I can see in that is your rider that if they were smart, and I don't see the Greens as ever being smart. New Zealand First can be smart. They certainly were smart in Northland, but I'm not sure they've got a candidate that they could insert into here to cause some carnage at this point in time. 
Yeah, but what they really need is not to put anyone up and just sit this one out. New Zealand First is pretty busy with its ministries and just maintaining its own party. I don't think it needs to get involved in a by-election. So the next question is, will National try to parachute a candidate in who has no links to the electorate, no profile and no campaign infrastructure? You think that there's a high chance that that will happen. The delegates may not like either Daniel Grant or Lisa White well enough to want them, and they may parachute in an outsider. There has been some talk out of Wellington, which you may not have heard of, but I know that there's some caucus members that are pushing for Stephen Joyce to run the campaign in Northcote, which of course would mean Joe DeJou coming out of retirement. I'm pretty certain that that's going to get hammered by Simon Bridges and the top five of the National Party. But that talk is coming out right now about getting Stephen Joyce to run the campaign. I don't think that Stephen Joyce would be willing to run a campaign like this. It's just way too small scale and not interesting enough for him. And he's decided to leave. I'd be very surprised if he gets involved. Well, other than Northland. Yeah, but that was when he was running campaigns. He's not now. He's back in the private sector. I don't think there's any incentive for him to get involved. No, neither do I. I think whoever's pushing agenda should have their card marked and they shouldn't be trusted. No, absolutely not. So if National's going to need to get somebody to run their campaign, Labour, will they fall back on their normal coterie of rat bags like Matt McCartan or someone equally crooked to run their campaign? Well, I think that they'd be hard-pressed to find someone as good as Matt from outside the area. and I don't know that they necessarily need Matt because they've got Anne Hartley and Grant Gillen, who are both brilliant in that area. But you look at what Matt McCartan did for Cathy Casey and getting her onto Auckland Council. I mean, she's mad as a cut snake, and he still managed to get her elected. And it was just an awesome campaign and an awesome ground game. And Matt, well, he breaks the rules and he wins. So you've got to think that he'd be a very capable campaign manager for Labour. Well, I don't even know what Matt's doing. I haven't spoken to him for ages, but he has got the rat cunning, but I'm not sure he's got the connections on the North Shore. And that's, again, it's as bad for Labour as it is for National in terms of parochialism. Yeah, but you know what Matt probably has is the ability to jack up a whole lot of unionists to come out and help campaign and maybe get a few interns. And you've got to admire his absolute shamelessness in what he did with the interns at the last election. He's just an absolute genius for getting the resources to win a campaign in the old house. Yeah, of course. Labour has got some risks here because it's a by-election, even though it's a national seat. They do have some potential risks here. What are those risks, Simon, the way you see it? Well, I don't know that they've got very many risks at all. They go in there with everyone expecting National to hold a majority after the 6,000 majority that Jonathan Coleman had. And I just, for the life of me, I don't think there's much that would be concerning them. Yeah, sure, they put a candidate up and they get a hiding, which I don't think is likely to happen. It doesn't look good, but it's still the expected result. The risk is far more on National's side. So for Labour, though, if they can even pair a 1,000 votes off that majority, that's a win for them, isn't it? Yeah, and they get close and they've got a chance in 2020. I think probably their biggest risk is actually um, internal. Instead of letting some of the really good people like Gillen, Hartley and McCartan run the campaign, Phil Twyford, who's just useless, comes in and completely fucks it up. I know, but Phil thinks he's a complete winner after the election. 
you know, he thinks it was his stunning strategy that got them across the line. Yeah, wonder how it would have gone if Andrew Little had a stayed leader. <laughs> so I think that that's probably their really big risk is that Twyford thinks that he's great and goes in there and shuts out the three that we've mentioned who are really good locally. And then I guess that the other risk to Labour doing well is that they can't persuade the Greens in New Zealand first not to run, but they should be able to do that. Behind the scenes, they should be able to do something. Well, they should be able to hammer the Greens into line. It's going to require someone to have some scotch with Winston, but I'm pretty sure he probably can't be bothered running a by-election and paying money for that. No, and I just don't see any upside for them running in it. So, yeah, they could potentially run a candidate, and that candidate does really badly, and the message is... New Zealand First is tanked, and New Zealand First isn't going to be in the government after the next election. And if he doesn't do it, that story doesn't come out. That's right, and it just becomes a two-horse race. So in summary then, from this discussion with you, Labour could win, but it's probably a two-election strategy. Raise the profile now, cut the majority substantially, and then with a good candidate win in 2020. That would be, if I was running the campaign and getting paid a win bonus, I'd be looking for a win bonus in 2020 rather than this time. But I would still think that I have a chance if National select an outsider who has no connection at all to the electorate and I can run a campaign saying, carpetbagger, just want to get to Wellington, we'll do nothing for Northcote, and you run a good local and you've got a chance. Given that then I'd say that Labour should be looking at selecting one of their local board members as the candidate so that they can stay with a high profile for the next three years. Well, I think that either Richard Hills or Paula Gillen are both young enough and proven that they're electable, that they should be given a turn. Paula Gillen is an attractive candidate. I don't know that Richard Hills necessarily is, but the people over in that part of the world voted for him. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that. Mm. Well, when we've got all the candidates lined up and we know what the lay of the land is, I think we'll revisit this podcast and do a review and perhaps even do some predictions about where things will go. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, we might also impose on our good mate David Farrer at Courier Polling and see what he'll let out of the bag on polling in that uh, electorate and historically perhaps even do a podcast with him and look at the statistical numbers they're associated with Northcote. Yep, sounds like a great idea. All right. Thanks, Simon. And we'll do a new podcast uh, next week. Great. Okay.